train museum. Has anybody been there? Train museum in Spencer, train depot. And that was pretty neat for a little boy like me. I was particularly excited because the teacher had not only advertised that we were visiting the museum, but that also we'd be going on a train ride. So all the pupils loaded onto this antique-looking train car, and we were set for the adventurous train ride. First time for a little boy like me, other than the one at Tweetsie Railroad, but, you know, that was pretty neat with all the cowboys and Indians. This was like real big locomotive passenger car. Now, I wondered with anticipation about the destination of that journey. Would we be going to an old-timey town? Would the train take us to some historic train depot in another city? Slowly and slowly, the train lurched forward, and we began picking up speed. 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, and it quickly approached a nice comfortable cruising speed. I remember the conductor got on the radio and he said, there's just something about a train that makes you want to go to sleep. And my buddy, he said, boredom. That was his answer. But we were approaching this cruising speed, enjoying the landscape and the gentle vibration from the tracks, when after about 15 minutes, the train started slowly coming to a halt. I thought maybe there's something wrong with the train. Maybe it broke down. Maybe there's a cow in the middle of the tracks. And suddenly I heard it fire up again and I said, okay, here we go. Get back in business, boys. And it started going again, but this time it started going backwards. Now initially I was intrigued because we was on a train headed this way, but now I'm on a train headed that way. And I'm wondering how we're going to get to a destination going backwards. Now it only took me a few minutes to realize that we didn't have any destination at all. We were simply riding a train that would come back to its starting point. What you had there that day was a train that was busy for 30 minutes. The conductor even put on his conductor outfit and his conductor hat. You had busy people boarding the train. You had a lot of commotion or locomotion. There was a lot of noise for 30 minutes. And there was a lot of stuff being moved. But in the end, (coughs) the train never went anywhere. The train had the right equipment, but it lacked purpose and mission. Now once I grew up, that train slowly faded as a distant memory, but I began having similar experiences week in and week out where I observed people gathering and they boarded into a seat. They put on their outfits and week after week there was a lot of commotion, a lot of noise, a lot of movement, but no one ever went anywhere. Bless you. You see, for years after that train ride, my experience was no longer replicated in a train, but in the church. I began to see that week after week, churches in every town, in every community would get together, they would put on their outfits, they would look busy for 30 minutes to an hour, but at the end of the day, no one really knew where they were going. 
No one really knew if the train had went anywhere or if it was just back at the starting location. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want that type of train. The question I want to answer this day concerning the people of God, concerning the Word of God, concerning Friendship Southern Baptist is where is this train going? I would like to do that by starting in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Feel free to turn there with me. Luke is the third gospel in your Bible. If you're at Matthew, keep turning right. Luke chapter 10. We're going to be traveling down the tracks of verse 26 as our beginning. You get there, say word. Jesus is having a conversation with this man. The nature of the conversation is not important to us right now, but what we're going to read is what is pertained in the conversation. And it says in verse 26, Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? By the law, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the law, the prophets, the instructions of God. When they said the law, it could also be an applicable term to the revealed word of God in their Old Testament. Back in that time, it was the only testament. He said, what is in the law? What is your reading of it? So the man answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. What happens here is Jesus is confirming that out of all the books in the Old Testament, at that time Genesis to Malachi, he's saying the great conclusion is love God and love people. Amen. Anybody with me this morning? Love God and love people. When you read the law, I don't care whether it's Leviticus, Exodus, Psalms, Isaiah, love God, love people. And Jesus was confirming that. Let's say I started an organization today called the Soldiers of the United Republic of America. And I said, Brother Robert, I'm going to invite you to join the Soldiers of the United Republic of America. And I want you to be willing to give your life... For this organization. Would you do that? Speak loudly my brother. Of course you wouldn't. Because you wouldn't know what that organization stands for. You wouldn't know what the purpose of that organization would be. We see 12 years ago ladies and gentlemen. There was an organization that invited me to join. Called the United States Military. And 12 years ago of July... I took an oath, along with every other veteran and every other fallen soldier uh, uh, that has been in the United States military for the past 70 or odd years that says this, I do solemnly affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. 
Now, if you're a visitor today, if this is your first time, you didn't know I was in the military. I've been United States Air National Guard for 12 years as a jet engine mechanic on a C-130 cargo plane. My wife and I and daughter Bella and Roman were sitting on the beach this week down in Myrtle Beach. And here I hear this, this low droning noise. I look over to my right and there comes a C-130 riding probably 500 to 1,000 feet above sea level. They're practicing battle maneuvers straight in front of us on the beach. With a tail that said Charlotte A-N-G. I said, that's my airplane. My sister was like, she says, you mean you work on the type? I said, no, that is my airplane. I work on that one. It's flying because I helped. That was a serendipitous moment. You know, normally you see those little bumblebees that have big banners behind them telling you to eat at Joe's Crab Shack for all you can eat $6.99. And this was pretty cool. I've taken pride in serving my country. But see, every person that joins the military knows the purpose when they enlist. enlist. And they actually have to repeat that purpose upon their enlistment. They're reaffirming it. That's why they're joining. The purpose of that organization was explicitly stated to those who were joining to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. This same oath was taken by those who fought and gave their lives at Iwo Jima, the ones who gave their lives at Normandy, the ones who gave their lives at Pearl Harbor, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iraq. All took an oath that was related to the purpose of the organization. Those men were willing to die because they believed in a purpose. But you see, I've often wondered why so many are willing to die for their country, but so few are willing to die for the gospel. It's not that people don't know that the gospel needs to be shared. It's not that Christians don't know that millions are dying every day without the gospel. It's not that they don't know that people will be spending an eternity in hell if they never have Jesus. The difference is those people don't have a preacher standing in front of them telling them the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the church, and the purpose of their life. That's why they don't give their life. You see, your commitment to an organization, whether it be the church, United States, military, or the Rotary Club, will be directly related to your passion about their purpose. So that brings us today to the nature of our discussion this morning based on Luke chapter 10 and the purpose of our church. Please turn in your bulletins on the back of the order of service to the notes for today. And I want you to see this. It dates back to about a year Twelve months ago, in 2012, we launched the purpose statement for our church. Some of you may not have been there for this Sunday. You may have seen it uh, on the website. You may have seen it in the bulletin. You may have seen it on the bulletin board outside my office. Here's our purpose for our church. Enjoy friendship with God. Share friendship with people. Does everyone see that in their notes? Let's read that together. Enjoy friendship with God. Share friendship with people. Now probably it does not mean what you think it means. If not at least obvious, this purpose is directly taken from the scripture in Luke chapter 10 where we said the whole sum of the Bible is love God, love people. That is what life is about. 
That is what you are about. That is what our church is about. Loving God, loving people. And our purpose statement is a play on words from the title of our church. Of course, you know our title is Friendship Southern Baptist Church. So we've incorporated that into our purpose. Enjoy friendship with God. Share friendship with others. You see how that works? Enjoy friendship with God. Share friendship with others. Man, that makes sense, don't it, George? You see, Jesus came to this earth so that we would no longer be enemies of God, but that would be friends with God. So the first part of our purpose about enjoying friendship is based on the nature of experiencing salvation. Experiencing salvation with God for your life. Our church should help facilitate you to experience salvation, to understand salvation, and to enjoy it. But here's the problem. Friendship with God means more than is plainly seen. What do you mean? Well, think about people in the Bible who were friends with God. Let's start with Noah, for example. Noah was a friend with God. He was found righteous. Problem with us is we're not found righteous, we're made righteous. <laughs> you see? So we're coupled in the same boat with Noah. Because now we're made righteous. We're made like Noah was. Did you know that? You're like Noah today. Noah was righteous with God. What did God require of Noah, who was his friend? God required that he spend 100 plus years building a boat. Because God was going to kill every person on the earth, including every near relative that Noah had, save his wife, his sons, and their wives. Noah, you're going to build a boat. And you and less than 10 people will be saved and everyone else will die. This is what you get for being my friend, Noah. Well, gee, thanks, God. That's not what the smiley preacher on TV told me. That's not what my existence with God looked like. But that's what being friends with God was about. It means you will spend your life in doing his work. Did you know that? Did you know that being a friend with God means that you will spend your life doing his work for the gospel? you did not know that today, you know now. What about Abraham? What did God ask him to do? Walk up a mountain and kill your only son. Kill your son. <laughs> so what can we learn from Abraham? Being a friend with God means God will ask you to sacrifice everything. He will say, God won't ask me to sell everything and move to China and preach the gospel. Oh, Really? Don't ever tell him that he won't. Because when you tell God something will never happen, sure enough, it will. Amen? If you tell God, I'll never be a preacher, just watch out. I'll never be a Sunday school teacher. Watch out. What about David? He's a friend with God. He's found righteous. God says, go slay a giant. Oh, that seems cool. Everyone wants to do that, right? Man, that's awesome. But what about afterward? What about afterward? You will spend your years in exile while the king of Israel chases you with his army and tries to kill you. So when we say enjoy friendship with God, it's not simply a happily-go-lucky, easy grace Christianity type feel. Enjoying friendship with God means it will be the most difficult thing you ever have to do in your life, but it will be the most beneficial for the glory of God. 
It will be the only thing that finds fulfillment in your life. Everything else will cause further emptiness except for your relationship with God. So first we say enjoy friendship with God. Secondly, we say this, share friendship with people. Now what kind of friendship are we talking about? We're talking about the friendship that can only be known in God and through God. How do we share? Well, that brings us to the theme verse of our church. I uh, it was my neglect to not print this in your bulletins. Hopefully you know John 15, 13. It's on my business cards. Let's see if I got one. Well, I'm a good member today. I've got a friendship invite card, but I don't have my business card. On the back of my business card and somewhere... On our website and our promotional material of the church, it says John 15, 13, that says this, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now I have heard this verse shared many times on Memorial Day in reference to those who gave their life for their country. Preacher will stand up, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for our friends. We, we commemorate those who've laid down their life for their country. But I think if we step back for a moment... And start thinking about the context of Jesus' words. Jesus was not referring to anyone who gave their life for an earthly agenda. How do we know that? Well, first of all, Jesus said his kingdom was not of this world. He also said that the warfare which we really fight is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, being rulers and principalities, and rulers of darkness. Jesus is talking about in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He's talking about a man or a woman who fights for the gospel. Amen? He's talking about those who through perseverance, sacrifice, and through sweat and through blood and through tears will devote their life to the sharing of the gospel because more than anything, they love God and love people. To enjoy friendship with God means that your life is consumed with the overarching biblical theme of God's redemptive plan for humanity and his desire that your life becomes a vessel for his glory. And to share that friendship with people means you no longer are living for your own needs, but you're now living to serve others so that they will too see the divine light of the gospel. But back to my story to the train in Spencer. I said that that train lacked two things. It lacked purpose and it lacked mission. What's the difference between the purpose of the church and the mission of the church? Well, let me ask you this. What's the difference in the purpose and the mission of a train? Let's start out with the purpose of the train. What's the purpose of a train? To carry cargo. Now, that cargo can be different things. It can be people. It can be shipment goods. It can be weapons. It can be coal. It can be food items. So even though a train has the same purpose to carry cargo, a train can have a different mission. You see where I'm going? Everyone follow me? Same thing in the military. My wife's in the military. Her purpose is to be a nurse. She fixes people. My purpose is to fix airplanes. Same purpose. I'm sorry. My mission is to fix airplanes. Same purpose. Defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Mission, fix people, fix airplanes. So even though churches can have the same purpose, churches will have different missions. Now, can I tell you that some churches will be hospitals for the broken, but other churches will be battleships. Can I tell you that in my nature, I have the nature to be a battleship. 
See, I've always heard it said by this. The nature of your church will be determined by the nature of the pastor. If you have an evangelistic pastor, there will be an evangelistic church. If there's a teaching pastor, you'll have a teaching church. I have a great mentor of mine. He is a teaching pastor. His church is revolved around teaching. He's supposed to come in the fall and do a Bible conference for us, a two-night Bible conference. And his sermons, my sermon this morning, three and a half pages. This is a long one for me, folks. His sermons, 14 pages. Next time you think I get long-winded, I'm going to send you to Greensboro to visit his church. He says he has to cut down his sermon from 14 pages to 10. 10 he feels like is short. If you have a complacent pastor, you will have a complacent church. See, last year when I stepped back and I looked at the mission of our church, what are we doing, where are we going, I had to first determine how my strengths as a pastor would be best suited to facilitate the church in carrying out their mission. But before I looked at my abilities, I looked at the instruction of Scripture and Jesus' charge to his disciples. His followers in Matthew 28, 18. It's in your notes. Let's read that. Jesus said this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How many nations? One nation? All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now here's the deal, folks. You've heard the scripture before. Maybe you have. Maybe it's your first time in church. Well, blessed be you. You heard it today. We would all agree that this is a command given by Jesus to his disciples to be continued until he comes back triumphantly to judge and make war with the nations. Can we agree upon that? This was the command given by Jesus to his disciples. Let's start there. We agree on it. But the question I ask of you, is this command given to the church? Let's look at this. This is not an institutional command. This is an individual command. Whose responsibility is it to make disciples? Yours. Yours. What are you talking about, Pastor? This is a clear distinction that needs to be made in the life of every individual believer. That it is not the pastor's job to make disciples. It is not the church's job to make disciples. It is your job to make disciples. It's the job of the Christian to make disciples. Did you know that in the Bible, amen means truly? So when you say amen, that means I agree, pastor. Jesus said amen, amen before he even prayed. He said truly, truly, amen, amen. So when you say amen, it means truly. So let me say this. The the goal of the Christian is to make disciples. Amen. Agreed. The role of the church is to help you do that. Let's understand this. It's your job to make disciples. It's the church's job to help you. In reality, the church is made up of nothing more than you. It's made up of nothing more than a bunch of Christians making other Christian disciples, making disciples. And at the end of the day, that's what the Jesus train is all about. As Toby Mack would say, it's the J train, baby. We depart from right here. Y'all like, who in the world is Toby Mack? So that leads to the mission of our church. It's found 
in your notes. The mission of our church is plastered on the side of our bus, which is parked over in the gravel lot today. The mission is this, equip families and individuals to fulfill the Great Commission in their community and around the world. Let's read that together. Equip families and individuals to fulfill the Great Commission in their community and around the world. Folks, do you know what I'm doing this morning? I'm giving you your oath of enlistment. As you're repeating this, it's being ingrained in your brain, this is what my life is for. This is what my church is for. This is why we are here. Disciples, making disciples. We're not here to be a rotary club. We're not here to be a social club or a country club. We're here to be a battleship church and to go out to make disciples of all nations because if we don't, it's sin. Our mission, equip families and individuals to fill the Great Commission in their community and around the world. How are we doing on time? What time you got? 920, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, wrap it up, 5 minutes invitation. Let's do it good. See, what I wanted to cover today was purpose, mission, and strategy. Y'all probably know the strategy because we talk about it all the time. No, grow, show, go. George, you got your bracelet on? Friendship SBC? Not today. Every day I see George. He's got, who's got their bracelet today? No, grow, show. No, grow, show, go. 75 people, no one's got it on. You see, I gave mine away in Haiti. It's interesting. We're talking about making disciples of all nations. A young boy in Haiti is wearing my no-grow show bracelet. Well, you know what that means, folks. I'm going to have to order 200 more bracelets, pass them out to everyone again. And this time, I'm going to do a different color so it matches your outfit on Memorial Day. I know how ladies are. If you're wearing red, you're not going to wear a blue, blue bracelet. I'll go with black. It goes with everything. I wanted to do purpose, mission, strategy. But here's the deal. I've talked about strategy a lot. And strategy is how. I think strategy is definitely important. Most churches like strategy because it tells us how we're going to accomplish this. Let me, let me, let's do this. Let's fill in the blanks five minutes before we go. Number one, our strategy is printed on the board. Outside my office. It's our vision board. The first part of our strategy is know God through worship. No. K N. O-W. Don't put in, oh God, no God. Right? That's the atheist mission. No God. We're going to know K-N-O-W God through worship. Jesus said, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, I, I, here's what I'm going to do. Some of you are contemplate on the fact that the pastor said, in order to determine the mission, he has to align his gifts with the church. And you're wondering how that's possible. Let me give you an example. What if I said, Robert, I want you to start a ballerina ministry? Now, that would be ridiculous. The only thing Robert can coordinate is his right arm throwing a football. And he does that well. Now, if I wanted to start a football ministry, I would put Robert there. You see? What did I do? I determined the ministry based on his gifts. And here's what a lot of pastors have tried to do. They've tried to fit into a mold that God never called them into. So in order for the church to be most effective, the, the strengths of the pastor will determine the mission of the church. And Robert won't be in ballerina ministry. 
But here's how we're going to do this. We're going to know God through worship. Why do you come in here on Sunday mornings? It's not so you can fill your pew and everyone can see you. It's so that you can know God better through worshiping Him, through the reading of His Word, the preaching of His Word, the glorifying of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we come to experientially know this God that the Bible talks about. Secondly, as we grow together in discipleship, G-R-O-W, grow together in discipleship. This is more than just Sunday school classes. Matter of fact, I want to tell you all something. You weren't here at second service last week. You're probably here at first service. Last week at second service, during the first song, we had not even sung one stanza of the first song, and a man walked down the aisle weeping, ready to accept Christ. He trusted Christ the first two minutes of the second service. God moved in a mighty way. We baptized nine last Sunday. We're going to baptize Chris today. He's the one that got saved. Chris is going to be baptized second service. Where am I going? I'm not sure. Okay, here's where I'm going. Tuesday, two days later, Chris Martin. He's two-day old Christian. He's helping pressure wash the youth house. Working outside with other Christians. You know what he was doing? At the very beginning of his infancy as a Christian, he was growing with other Christians. Growing with other Christians. Growing together in discipleship is more about sitting together on Sunday morning and, and, and reading the Word of God together. That's important. It's critical. It's foundational. But we're going to have to do more missional stuff together. What did Noah do for a hundred years with his sons? They didn't just sit down and have Bible studies. They built a boat. And 120 years later when that flood came, guess what? They knew God based on that hundred year experience of boat building with their dad. That boat building was discipleship. That missional outreach is discipleship. We grow together in discipleship. Do you know the root word of disciple is discipline? That means you have to do something. You have to do something. Thirdly, is to show God's love through service. S-H-O-W. Show God's love through service. A few weeks ago, a Sunday school class from our church went to the women's shelter in Concord, built raised garden beds to minister to the women and children there. We're going to invite those women and children to our vacation Bible school. You know what? That was, that was a glimmer. That was a beacon of the gospel. That was putting hands and feet to the gospel. Because I can preach Sunday in, Sunday out, till I'm blue in the face, Miss Furla. But if people don't go out and do something, the gospel is not being shown. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus tells them in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, glorify your Father in heaven. Lastly, that's where I'm going to close right here. Trains coming to the end of the station. Amen. You're looking forward to it. Go to the mission field. G-O, go. Go to the mission field. There is no way that we can fulfill. Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations unless we go. And if you don't think that that verse applies to Friendship Southern Baptist, then your understanding of God's sovereignty for his own glory is small. He wants to proclaim himself to the nations through you. I had a man send me a message this week. He said, why are we going to Haiti when people need help here? Now, here's what that says to me as a pastor because I've learned over a decade 
And when people say something, they're not trying to hurt you. They're just showing that leadership has not communicated the why. You see, people don't understand why we're going to Haiti in August. Because they don't understand the Great Commission. They don't understand Scripture. They don't understand the personal call that you must go. They don't understand that in America, you've got 70 million Christians and 5,000 Southern Baptist missionaries in the rest of the world. 5,000. 70 million Christians and only 5,000 are sharing the gospel to the nations. Only 5,000 are being obedient. We must go. There's no other option, folks. Jesus said, Acts 1.8, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The first part of the gospel is go. Go, spell. Spell out the Bible for people. And think about this. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. I know some of you saying, Pastor... I can't go to Haiti. I can't go to China. Okay, okay. Help someone else get there. Help the gospel get there. Amen? Keith Green had a quote. This, this, this vexes me at night. This is what I think about when I ride to work. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. Who's responsible for every lost person in India right now? Is it the International Mission Board? Is it the Southern Baptist Convention? Is it Johnny Hunt at First Baptist Woodstock? It's us. It's us. We're responsible. Unless we realize that, we're always going to be in error. Unless we realize that every one of us is charged With knowing, growing, showing, and going. Why? Because it fulfills the command of the Great Commission. Why? Because it's obedient to Luke 10. Sharing friendship with others and enjoying friendship with God. You see how everything works backwards? Why are we doing this? Because it's making disciples. Why are we making disciples? Because that is the supreme call of your life. Love God. Love people. Let's pray. Lord God, on this day, as it is Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. Every week we gather here to preach from Scripture, to learn about you, to learn about your Son, Jesus Christ, to grow deeper in knowledge of you, to know you through worship. God, I give you thanks that your word is able to do so through the power power of your Holy Spirit. God, I also realize that there have been Decade after decade of churches and pastors who have not declared the purpose and mission of people's life to them authentically. They've given them a modernized, watered-down, self-centric gospel that have said it's okay to not care about people. And God, we rebuke that in Jesus' name today. We ask God... That you would help us to be a battleship church, fighting a war against principalities, against spiritual forces, against rulers of the dark realm. And that we would do that through the declared purpose, mission, and strategy of our church for your glory. 
God, I pray if there's anyone today who's been looking for a home church, that today they have seen, you know what, I now know where this train's going. I'm ready to get on board. May today be that day. Secondly, Father, if there's someone that's never entered into a relationship with you, they've probably never seen your desire to use them to fulfill your purposes. Today they see that they, no matter what they've done this past week, that they can be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Holy Spirit, whatever you have to do in this place, may you work and move in a mighty way. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will we stand as we sing today? I'm going to tell you what. Brother Dave, you come on. We're going to do something a little different. Here's what we're going to do. Brother Eddie, you still got that song ready? See, we commemorate soldiers who've given their life for their country. But I want to play this song to represent you and I dying for the sake of the gospel. Here's the reality. If you're a Christian, you've already died. Amen? You're already dead to yourself if you're a Christian. This is our invitation. Will you play that? Thine own way, Lord, have 
at the 